You know, there are things in life that are easily distinguished whether they're true or false. Um, when I was, when Lorinda and I were first married, our daughter Leela was just a baby. My sister and her brother went on a vacation and left their oldest daughter in our care. And um, we were helping her. I think she was like in first or second grade. And so she was working on her math. And so I was working on her math problems with her. And I would say, what's two plus three? And she'd go, um, four? Uh, no, it's not multiple guess. There's a right answer. And four is not the answer. Five is. And so she kept trying to work math like it was more of a guessing game than a factual statement. Three plus two equals five. That's true. Right? So we're going to do a little true or false this morning. Uh, Father Abraham is the father of many nations. True or false? True. True. Pastor John is a door killer. True. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look at his truck after church. You'll you'll figure it out. All right, here's, here's kind of the last one we're going to do with. One more. My wife, Lorinda, is hot. All right, now, some of you guys just got into a whole heap of trouble right now. You just stepped into it because you're going like, well, she is, but I can't say it. But my, and then your wife is sitting there going like, what are you going to say? Because you better say it's true, but you better add something to it. Because if you go like, the pastor's wife's not hot, then your wife's going like, what, are you kidding me? She's gorgeous. But if you go like, she is hot, you know, and your wife's going to go like, well, wait wait a minute, mister. So I kind of threw you under the bus a little bit, so let me help you out, fellas, because it's going to come up again, not necessarily about my wife, but some other woman. Your wife's going to say, hey, do you think she's really good looking? And you need to say, yes, she's really good looking, but not as good looking as you are. (laughs) I'm helping to save your marriage, okay? So when I say, Pastor Ken... Lorinda's really hot, hot, you should have said, yes, but not as hot as my wife. <laughs> All right? So, anyway, kind of got you on that one, okay? Um, but you know what? Some of those things that we held to be true 25, 30 years ago, our society now says they're false. And a lot of things we said, um, no, that's not true. They're going, yeah, it is. It is. And so we kind of got this, this whole nuance of stuff going on around us that says, you know, what used to be true is no longer true and what used to be false is no longer false. And the problem is, is that there's a lot of this kind of activity going on, particularly in the spiritual realm, because there are people always that have a, 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 an idea, a new fresh, fresh idea, spiritual idea, that comes flooding into their mind, and they think that this is the latest and greatest thing, and so they start to preach it and teach these spiritual concepts, and they're going, this is new. This is new truth from God. And a lot of us who have been around the block a couple of times go, "Mm, uh uh-uh, no, that's not new. That's the same old thing. It's just packaged differently. And, and, you know, it's it's the, the thought has come to this is that 
you know, if you just reason enough, you'll be able to divulge the truth. But reasoning alone cannot identify spiritual truth or error. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the great enemy of our soul, Satan, he desires spiritual destruction. And failing that, he'll desire corruption. So if he can't destroy the truth about God, he certainly is going to get in and corrupt it to make it something that sounds true-ish but is not truthful according to the Word of God. And so we've got that going on. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 7, the Gospel of John, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. What Jesus is saying to us and to the people back then when he was talking is that the gateway to spiritual truth isn't so much intellectual, but it is the will of man. Because, there's, because there is spiritual truth, that means there's also spiritual error or falsehood. And spiritual truth and error are not discerned by logic or intellectual reasoning alone. Intellectual reasoning is a part of the truth and discernment, and it's a discernment process. But the truth, and more specifically, spiritual truth, is not discerned or known or identified by reasoning alone. Spiritual discernment plays a critical role in understanding what is truthful and what is false. And so, when we come to God, we come to him, first of all, by faith and love. And intellectuals who are intoxicated with their own wisdom and knowledge can't quite seem to figure out that their own investigative methodologies are flawed to the core when it comes to discerning spiritual truth. It just, it's funny to me, almost, that there are people that are are brilliant. I mean, there are a lot of really brilliant people that get a great education. I mean, they've got PhDs on top of PhDs, and they're 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 in, you know they're really quite intellectually uh, in a group of all of their own. But when it comes to spiritual things, they're as dumb as a fence post. They just don't have a clue. And, and so what they do is they start listening to stuff and they start hearing stuff and they start believing things that aren't spiritually true. And so what Jesus said is that, that you know, when he was talking to his disciples, that there's going to be a, that already there are people who are claiming to be the Messiah. They're already false teachers and false prophets. So even before Jesus had, had um, been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, there was already stuff starting to happen on the false narrative going on. And, and after Jesus ascended into heaven, it just seemed to maybe get ramped up a little bit more because now there are a lot of people who are claiming to have spiritual truth, but what they're bringing isn't truthful at all. It doesn't follow God's word one little bit. And so this morning, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be in the first six verses. And let me just say this as we step into this. I just want to remind you that there is a realm of supernatural things that happen. Supernatural is real. Understand that? It's real. But it's not always from God. 
That's the other part. So we have to be aware. So uh, John is going to help us out this morning with this whole thought process and what we should do. So First uh, John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. When John says that we're not to believe every spirit, we could get confused by that. Because what, what does it mean by every spirit? What is he saying when he says that? What he means is spiritual teaching. And as Christ followers, we're to make sure that the teachers we're listening to, the books that we're reading, or the other countless ways we receive spiritual instruction are not just coming to us and we are in kind of a um, mindless zone and we'll listen to anything that sounds spiritual. Because there's a whole bunch of spiritual stuff that is out there coming at us that is not godly by nature. It, It is something else. And so we have to make sure that the message, the teaching we're listening to, the, the messages we're, we're downloading on our iPods or whatever it is that we're listening to them now are, you know, the podcasts we get. And some of the spiritual leaders that we're hanging out with aren't false teachers. Because I'm going to tell you, there are some guys that are teaching some stuff that's not from the Bible. They have very strong personas about them. They are magnetic in their personality, and they will attract you simply by who they are. But beware. Beware. Notice John says that many false prophets have gone out into the world. This wasn't just a a first century issue that was going on. Because many false prophets, I mean, in the Old Testament, they had false prophets that would come along and, and say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God has to say. And you know how they tested a prophet in the old days, in the Old Testament? (laughs) It was kind of like you didn't really want to be a prophet. It was a dangerous job because you'd say, in two years, God's going to send rain. And it's going to, and, you know, people go like, all right, let's see what happens in two years. Two years came and the rain didn't fall. They would take you out kind of, you know, on the edge of town Everybody would bring their favorite rock, and they'd stone you to death. Because you're a false prophet, and false prophets got stoned to death. And I I don't know if the church kind of went more in that direction these days. You know, go ahead. Yeah, you want to make a prophecy about something? Go ahead. Because if you're right, God will be glorified. If you're wrong, we got a shallow grave right out back here for you. That might put an end to some of the people that are throwing out false prophecies all the time. People who are, are shameless in what they do. When we place ourselves under any teacher or preacher, we need to be aware that there is one of two possibilities going on at that moment. Only one of two. Okay? So, um, the preacher, teacher, is either operating from the Holy Spirit of God or they are operating from a demonic spirit. Now, I'm telling you that it's either or. There's no middle ground on this. I want you to understand this. That if they are preaching from the Word of God, if they are lifting Jesus up, if it's the Holy Spirit-empowered stuff, and you are aware that the Spirit of God is in the middle of that, that is from God. 
If you don't sense that, if you don't see it, you need to start testing the spirit because if it's not the spirit of God, it is a demonic spirit. We get confused about it because we think that there is, we, we have people, you know, that there's this group over here, they're for God, and then there's this group over here, and they're against God, and then there's this middle group, which is a large group, they're just neutral because they're, you know, they don't want to offend anybody. Well, they're going to offend God. If, if they, and, and by the way, you know, Jesus really kind of pushed this whole thing because I, I'm, you know, and here's what Jesus said, and I have a tendency, more than just a tendency, I really like to side with what Jesus says rather than what somebody else says. Because uh, after all, Jesus spoke all of this into existence with a word. So here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever is with me or whoever is not is against me. I mean, Jesus is going like, you know what? There is a dividing line and it's a very narrow. It's like standing on a razor blade. That's how thin it is. And so you're either in the camp with Christ or you are in the demonic camp against God. Now that might be scary or frightening to some of you because you're going like, well, how do you really know? What are we supposed to do? I mean, what Jesus has said to his disciples at that time in, in Luke chapter 11 is still relevant for us today because there's false prophets and teachers and preachers. And we need to discern whether they're from God and with God, or whether they are against God. And the purpose of testing is not to discern whether their motivation is from God, but rather that the message that they speak is either true or false. You can have good intentions. People can say, well, I really have a good intention in following God and doing what God's calling me to do, and I want to get the message of God right, and so I'm, I'm going to read a, a wide variety of spiritual authors, and it's going to be from a, a whole different background of people, all the way from maybe Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, Catholics, to Protestants, to uh, um, Church of Scientology, I mean, you've got a whole thing out there, and then maybe you might even go into Buddhism or Hinduism. I mean, there's a whole realm of spiritual thinking out there, and I'm going to tell you that most of it, if it's not from the Word of God, all of it that's not from the Word of God is susceptible to being in error. We, got, we really got to put our eyeballs on what we're looking at, because in 1 Timothy, Paul Paul had a concern about this when he was writing to his young son, Timothy. And he said to him, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That should put a little bit of fear into what we're reading, what we're allowing ourselves to listen to. I mean, the, the variety, the, the availability of listening to whatever you want to on the Internet and just kind of listening to what's going on, you can pick up all kinds of stuff. And guess what? Most of the stuff that is, is trying to 
distract you and take you away from the reality of who Jesus is sounds like it should be true. It sounds good. There might be a little something that's off. It might be just a little bit not. You're listening and you kind of go like, oh, well, you know, most of everything else he said was really good, but that little part, I'll just forget that, or it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And so what John is teaching to us here today is that we have got to test every spirit, everybody that comes up and starts to preach or teach. By the way, that includes me. That includes anybody that stands up here. You need to be going like, is what Pastor Ken is saying, is that lining up with Scripture, and is it true? And if I preach something that is not from the Word of God, that is not true, then you need to make a line of people right here and right back to the back, and you need to go like, uh, dude, no, uh-uh, that's not what the Bible says. And I'm sure that the elders will be calling me into my office, and they would be having a conversation. Because everything, everybody needs to get, well, I don't care whether you trust the guy or not, because there have been people who have been trusted throughout, you know, a whole generation, and somewhere along the line, they've got twisted up on some thinking, some spiritual thing, some doctrine, and they start to preach something other than Jesus. So don't just trust anybody that stands up and says, Here's what God has to say because Satan's plan is distort true doctrine by means of false prophets who teach something less than sound doctrine. It it sounds truish, but it is false. We should consider not only the source of false doctrine, but the danger of false doctrine. False doctrine denies true doctrine. False doctrine distorts truth. And false doctrine, at its worst case, it deceives those who are gullible. So, you, you kind of know this. You just kind of look at how cults operate. They masquerade as a vivid and true Christ-following um, um, entity. And they will even put themselves off as just another denomination like a bunch of other denominations. But they don't bear witness to Jesus of the Bible. But they will... And then what they will do is they will preach and teach a different Jesus of the Bible. Now, just let me tell you that their express purpose is simply to lead people astray. Those who were not taught, those who were looking for some kind of supernatural expression of spirituality. And Jesus warned the disciples about such people. Jesus said in Mark 13, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and miracles to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. So you see, here's what they're doing, is that they will perform, get this, did you hear what it said right there? They'll perform miracles, signs and wonders. Do you know what that means? That means that some of these people who are demoned, demonized, demon-possessed, they will take somebody who is sick and ailing and they will come and they will come in their name or not in the name of Jesus, but they will pray for that person to get healed. And guess what? That person gets healed. 
They will, they will have signs and wonders. They'll, they'll even tell you stuff like your future. They're going to say like, hey, in three days, you're going to, this and this and this is going to happen to you. And you're going to go like, wow. And then it happens and you're like, wow. Because that's what they do. Jesus says that they're out there. They're going to arise and they're going to perform signs and wonders. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to take your focus off of the work and the person of Jesus Christ and turn it, even if it's just slightly, over and you start looking at this guy doing these things and you're like, wow, that's really amazing what happens. So the result, the result of all that is deception. And sometimes it's even deception of God's own people. There are two places that false teachers will always try to maneuver themselves. First of all, this is why Jesus gave us this warning, is that false teachers will manipulate their way into the body of Christ, into the church. And they will come from within the church and they will say things from within the church. And we're going like, oh, well, we've known them for a long time. What they're doing must be, and what they're teaching must be true. No, test the spirit. And then the other one is they come from outside of the church. And, and they're going to come and they're going to say, I've got this new teaching. And either case, the goal and the end result is the same, to distort the truth about who Jesus is. Now, there are some people who say we need to be more inclusive of um, new spiritual ideas. And there are a lot of spiritual teachings that are beneficial to humanity. And we just need to get over ourselves and embrace some of these new thoughts. And I have two thoughts in regards to that. The first thing that comes to my mind is what the author of Ecclesiastes says. He says, there's nothing new under the sun. So somebody comes with a new teaching. It's not a new teaching. It's the same old demonic teaching wrapped in a new skin. That's all it is. And so you have to kind of unpeel the thing to see what's at the core of it and find out what it is. And then the second thing is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, so what Jesus is doing is he's setting the whole thing up and according to Jesus, and I agree with Jesus, and I hope you do too, that all true believers are doctrinally intolerant of other stuff. So if somebody uh, comes and accuses you of being intolerant, just say, that's true, I, I am. I am going to be intolerant. There are some things I am going to be intolerant of. And that there is another way to Jesus? Nope, not uh-uh. I'm going to be intolerant of that kind of thinking, and I'm going to say there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. It's no other way. It's just Jesus. And, and that's what we stand on. Those are the truths that we hang on to. And so in this whole realm, because when you go into the realm of religious thinking and religious teaching, there are definitions about different religions. And the definition of Christianity is defined by a God-revealed religion whereby God says, this is true and this is error. And God makes, gets to make the rules because guess what? He created the world. It's his. So he can make the rules. Verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So, understand this. There is no salvation, not in um, knowledge. There's no salvation in works or deeds. The only place that you find salvation is through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ that we have that. Now look, there are, there are some people that just are not going to believe in the Trinity, the, the second person of, Jesus, of, of, of the triune God being the Son of God, being Jesus Christ. They just don't believe that to be true. The, I, there's this idea, now listen, this is a true idea that's floating out there with uh, some false teachers. The idea is this, that they believe Jesus was an angel who became a man. They say he is God-like in figure, but he is not God. The spirit who represents the incarnate Christ, by the way, the word incarnate just means that when Jesus became flesh, when he started to walk on this earth as a baby, the incarnate Christ is what we just celebrated at Christmas. So it is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. And so that's what incarnate means. And, and so we have this spirit that represents the incarnate Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. And he resides and comes and lives in our lives. And we live in this world that doesn't want us to um, criticize anyone. And just let me retu- remind you of the difference between criticizing some individual and criticizing a doctrinal position of a false religion. Because we live in a world that doesn't want us to criticize anybody but to be inclusive of everyone, we are perceived as being bigoted and intolerant if we criticize a doctrinal stance. Yet both John in, the, in his writings and Jude in his little book remind us and command us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You will never find a Christ-following, Bible-believing church that does not believe in the incarnation of Jesus or the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you go on vacation and you walk into the church and they're not preaching about Jesus and they don't talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and they're talking about a bunch of other fluff and stuff, you need to get up and you need to go out and you need to find a Bible-believing church to go to or I would say don't go at all. Because it would be better for you to hear nothing than to hear lies. Martin Lloyd Jones said this, If the incarnation is not actual fact, if he, Jesus, really has not been made flesh and dwelt among us, then there is no real humiliation involved in his coming into this world. He really did limit himself and is... and as if it were to position of a man dependent upon God. 
If there is no real meaning in the laying aside of the insignia of eternal glory, there is not a true humiliation of Jesus, and therefore he was never crucified, and he never died, and he was never raised back to life. In Thessalonians, it says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, holding fast to what is good. We, we can discern what's good. We can hold fast to those things that God's called us to hold fast to. But there are times when we have the prophecies that are coming, we have other things that are going on, and specifically when we have people we don't know, we've not spent time with them, we don't know where they're coming from, we don't know what their foundation is, we need to be very leery, we need to, to listen with our ears and listen with our hearts and know what God is saying to us in those moments. So John doesn't want us just to be living in fear. Here's the thing I don't want you to get. Now you walk around fearful of everybody that says, hey, you know what, let me share something of a spiritual nature with you. Because you have the ability to discern what is going on and what God has for you. And, and John kind of in this sandwich of, of testing the Spirit, right in the middle of it, he has verse 4. This is one of those verses that you may have heard at one time or another. It may be something that you have quoted. This is a good one for you to keep uh, in your heart, in your mind. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the ones that are being overcome are the false teachers outside that are trying to influence you into believing something other than who Jesus is. And what God has promised and what John is pointing out to us is is that the Holy Spirit who we have residing in us is greater than any spirit out in the world. The Holy Spirit who lives in you is stronger than the enemy of our soul. If the enemy of our soul put a full throttle uh, assault against you as a Christ follower, you just stand in the authority of Christ and the realization that the Holy Spirit resides in you and they can't do anything to you. It's not yourself. It's what Jesus has done for you by when he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. And because he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to guide, to teach, to counsel, to protect And to help us. And he resides right here. That's why sometimes when we're entering into sin on our own volition, it's not like we're really, there wasn't much temptation. We just decided we're going to sin one day. Boop, I'm going to sin. And all of a sudden you're about ready to step into this sinful behavior. And all of a sudden there's a little right there in the middle of your chest. And you're like, you go like, oh, I, I don't know what that was. And then all of a sudden it moves right down about here, and this knot starts in your stomach. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He works on you to say, hey, pay attention. Don't do that. That's wrong. And all of a sudden we go like, oh. And so we walk away from it. And that's when we start to recognize how the Spirit of God works in us. And that's what it means that He is stronger in us than the one out in the world. Because the one out in the world, guess what He's trying to do? He's not only trying to bring false teaching. He's not only trying to distort the teaching of Christ. He's not only trying to corrupt 
the teaching of Jesus. What he's also trying to do is he's trying to get you to step into sin. He can't make you sin. All he can do is lay the trap for you, for you to step into it. It's called temptation. And you can say no to temptation. You can avoid that trap. You can walk away from it. And you can be free in Christ because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Here's what I think has happened in the church somehow. And I'm not sure where it comes from or how it got here. Maybe it has to do with um, books that have been written. And I'm not talking about Christians writing books, Christ followers writing books. I'm talking about fantasy books. It may have come from Hollywood in movies or whatever. But the notion that has been picked up on, and unfortunately it's even crept its way into the life of the church, is we have this notion that there is the, the good and there is the evil, and they are of equal force, and there's this constant battle of good and evil going on all the time. And, and we're not sure who's going to win out. Is it going to be the evil and the wickedness that's going to win out over this world? Or is it going to be the righteousness and holiness of God that's going to win out over this world? And so we've got in our minds somehow Christ's followers have come to the place where they believe that there's, it's this equal. And, and so we're always in this constant battle of fighting against the wickedness of, of Satan. And, and we want to stand victorious, but we got to beware because they're going to stab us in the back and we're all going to die and, and wickedness is going to win out and evil and blah, 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 blah. And none of that is even true because when it comes to God and Satan, it's like taking a little project that you've made out of wood and you uh, create this thing, and then all of a sudden, from somewhere or another, that thing starts to talk at you and going like, you better watch out because I'm going to mess you up. And you're going like, what did you say, say? I am going to mess you up. And you go, oh, really? And then you pick up that little piece of wood thing that you just made, and you walk over to your burn barrel that's burning fire right now, and you pick the lid off, and you toss that piece of wood in there and go, take that, dude, bonk. And it's done because that little piece of wood has no power over the, the person that just created it. Satan has no power over God. He is subjected to God's authority. And the bottom line is one day God's going like, you can do whatever you want to for right now. But guess what? There's a day coming and it's getting closer all the time. When Jesus, my son, the king of glory, is going to come back and when he puts his foot on this earth, he will set all things right and he will take you, Satan, and all of your ugly little demons and cast you into the pit of hell. And the reason that that's going to happen is because God and Satan are not equal powers. Here's where we have our problem. I think that sometimes as Christ followers, we overestimate the power of the enemy and we underestimate the power of God in our lives. That's why these verses are so important for us. You know, 
the, the other point that I think that John's making in verse 4 is it, the, individually we take comfort and solace in the promise that the Holy Spirit's greater in us than he is in the world. Individually, we, we cling to that, and that's a really good thing. But this isn't just written to individuals. It's written to the ecclesia, the body of Christ, right? This, this is for the whole body to get their head around. And so what I think God is doing here, that through John, he's, he's reminding us and giving us uh, an understanding that when we come together, we are better at fighting the truths and the errors of the demon activity around us. We strengthen one another. Matter of fact, it's kind of, you know, Jesus said that. He said, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Okay, two gathered. and We're asking in Jesus' name for something to happen. Okay, and then he says, for where there are two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying is, you're going to be better together than you are by yourself. You're going to be stronger together than you are by yourself. You're going to be smarter together than you are by yourself. You're going to be more discerning together than you are by yourself. And, and that's why we have people who are so messed up in their understanding of who God is, in their theology, in their doctrine, because they try to live the Christian life by themselves, and God never intended for you to walk this planet in faith by yourself. You are to be hooked up with the body of Christ, learning what it means to be discerning. All right, so we've got this new thing happening. Now, there's a bunch of you sitting in here right now. You have never had someone come alongside of you and say, you know what, in, in Matthew chapter 28, it says we're to make disciples. Have you ever been discipled? And, and, and nobody's ever said, asked you that question if you've been discipled before. Because there are things, you just can't figure out what the basics of Christianity are, what our Christian faith looks like, what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, what are those basic things that we need to learn to understand so that we start to develop a discerning heart? And so, um, Phil Holder, he's got that little... You see, do you see his guitar back there? It fell in the water. It shrunk. boy's lost his mind. <laughs> anyway, it's really cute, Phil. But here's what's happening. On Thursday, this coming Thursday, at 7 o'clock, Phil, Phil came to me and said, look, God's been pressing on my heart that I need to start a class for people who are either new to faith or they've never been grown in their faith. Nobody's ever said, hey, do you want to learn the basics of Christianity. And so Phil came to me and goes, I need to start that class. I said, okay, when do you want to do it? He goes, well, I'm already here for worship practice on Thursday, so let's just do it Thursday night, 7 o'clock. You can meet back in the coffee bar area. He's going to give you some books. There's, there's one book by Rick Warren um, entitled, What on Earth Am I Here For? We've got a a life journal to help you to learn spiritual disciplines. We've got other material we're going to walk you through. And the great thing is, is you get to learn 
what it means to walk with Jesus hand in hand. How do I develop this life? What does it mean to, to read the Word of God and how to understand the Word of God? What do I do with it when I read it and understand it? What does it play into my life? And so Phil, who has walked with Jesus since Moses, is going to come along and he is going to start this class. And so, you know, he's going out on faith. But there are some of you sitting here right now that need to get into that class. You need to talk to Phil. If you don't know who Phil is, he's got his hand up right now in the back over there by the bathroom. He's standing up. There he is. So, look, go talk to Phil after church. Say, I need to be in your class. You need, you need to be in his class. Jesus is calling you to his class so that you are spiritually discerning of the things of God. Infomercial is over. (laughs) Verses uh, 5 and 6, and I'm going to be real quick here on these. Um, John says, they are from the world, these false speakers and teachers, the, the false spirits. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Do you notice he's changed his language here from you to now we, the collective church. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, false teachers aren't from God. All right. Their source and motivation is from God godless humanity. They try to bring in human reasoning into the things of God, spiritual things. And and we're told that the the world can't understand spiritual things because they're not spiritually minded. And the reason they're not spiritually minded is because the Holy Spirit's not in them activating their spiritual awareness. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to activate that spiritual awareness in your mind so that you start to understand the things of God. So that you don't just read something, but you read it and the Spirit of God says, this is important. So you underline it in your Bible and you go, the reason this is important to me is because now God's calling me to move away from behavior that I've had of this world for so long. Now the application is, okay, here's how I'm going to change my behavior in what I'm doing. And then you, at the end, you go like, Lord God, you know how I used to behave. That's not what you're calling me to do. So by your Holy Spirit, teach me to behave differently. That's what it means. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They will end, their end will correspond to their deeds. You know, it's just kind of amazing, right? I mean, you just look at the stuff that comes on television... Uh, and and you, there are all kinds of spiritual gurus, spiritual leaders that are going to tell you a new spiritual truth, how to get closer to God, how to get to heaven. And by the way, pull out your checkbook or get your credit card ready because you can buy your way into this thing. Anytime money's involved, you need to say uh, no. 
And I, I'll just give you the words my dad would have said if he were still alive and this hogwash was going along. It's kind of what he said about the Beatles when I was playing them on the radio in his car. That crap needs to be flushed down the toilet. <laughs> there is some spiritual truth to that. Back to verses 4 and 5. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When we put ourselves in a place of discerning and having eyes and ears to hear with, we get to see, just like we prayed this morning, open my eyes and open my ears. That's why we do this. Every Sunday we come to preach, we ask God by His Holy Spirit to open my eyes so I can see it, to open my ears so I can hear Him. Because when I see and when I hear, then I am going to make the right move towards God and away from falsehood, towards truth. We must test the Spirit in order to know whether it comes from God or not, whether it acknowledges that Jesus came to earth in human form, whether the world of unsaved people listen to it. All false teaching ultimately detracts from Jesus and the sufficiency of his work on the cross for salvation. Remember, What's this church all about? Say it again. You hear anything other than Jesus, you drive that person out of here with sticks. Break them off the wall. I mean, we got some good ones here. You can beat them pretty good with. (laughs) All right. Um, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that is why we come and we celebrate around the table. I'm going to pray, then John's going to come and lead us in communion. Father, Thank you so much that you have empowered us by your Holy Spirit to have a discerning heart so that we can see and we can hear things. And we know by your Spirit what is truthful. We also know what is false. And I pray, God, that you would make us more sensitive to your truth and give us eyes to see things that are false and to turn away from them and to walk away from it. Even though it sounds good, it's not from you. It is bad. So, by your Spirit, empower us to live as men and women who understand and know the Spirit of truth.